this will be the last time I am uh, in this cast with all of you. I will be able to get this off next Friday, and it is going to be a wonderful experience. Um, and again, just with the passing of time, amazing to think how quickly things are moving. We are already reaching the midpoint of our Forge series. So, uh, you know, hopefully you're getting a lot out of these sessions. Just know that we are very much uh, going to be over before we know it. And so I know that it's a, a joy to be together. So as we're getting started, as always, let me just open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll go ahead and dive into our material together. Gracious Lord, uh, we come before you this morning, again, just humbled, knowing the way that you have worked in our lives, the ways that you continue to work in each of us. Uh, Lord, we are not worthy, we are not deserving, and for that reason, we praise your name. Uh, Father, we ask that in this time that we have together that you would be glorified, that you would give us clarity of uh, ears and heart, that all of us would be encouraged in our walks with you um, wherever we may be. And so we give you this hour and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, back in the day when I had two working legs, I used to love running. Uh, you know, something that I would try to do fairly regularly just to, you know, keep up with, uh, you know, being active, you know, staying in shape, things like that. And uh, as you know, running can be difficult. You know, it's not something that I did particularly well. Um, but, you know, uh, whether it's two or three or four miles, knowing that that's something that could be very good for all of us as men to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, it would always be a grueling work because my cardio was terrible. You know, from the very beginning, I started to feel like I was going to die. You know, feel like I'm beginning to pass out. My face is red. I can hear the blood pumping even in my ears. And uh, my favorite part of running was actually the end of it. You know, when I knew that my torture for the day was going to be over, um, that was always such a refreshing feeling, just knowing that it's, it's coming to a close. Yeah, as you start to slow your walk, you can feel your muscles start to rejuvenate as it begins to rest. Uh, you know, hopefully just grabbing a, a cup of ice-cold water and just feeling the refreshing a feeling of it going down your, your throat and just knowing that you're able to take the hot shower where everything just feels so much better. And I'm really hoping that our session today feels like that after last week. Uh, I think all of us know that that was a very, very heavy lesson that we had from Pastor Rich. It was incredibly helpful, right? It was articulated well, so much good information, but I think a lot of us know the feeling that that was also a little bit difficult to hear at 630 in the morning, was it not? Uh, you know, a lot of good conversations that came out of last week that I've even heard of, you know, earlier, uh, just a couple days ago. But uh, really, my, my hope this morning is that our topic about walking by the Spirit is very much on the easier side. That, you know, hearing those wonderful truths last week of knowing that the, the depth of the Trinity goes beyond our understanding. As good as that is to hear, um, hopefully this one just a little bit easier uh, to take as well. As we are talking about this morning, what it means to walk by the Spirit. As we know, as we've covered in the Forge, and as we've heard these last couple of Sundays in John 14, we as believers are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are empowered by God himself. And that should change the way that we live the Christian life. It gives us new abilities to honor the Lord that the Old Testament Christians weren't able to do. Uh, and so the, the question then is, how do we make sure we are tapping into his control in our lives? How are we making sure that the way that we are living is indeed being controlled by God? And so that's what we're doing today. I, I do hope that this is going to be challenging, uh, convicting, but also encouraging for us wherever we may be in our Christian walks together. 
And let's make sure that we are not accidentally uh, trying to live the Christian life in our own strength as well. And so uh, hopefully you have the notes. We're just going to go ahead and start from the talk. What is walking by the Spirit? And I created hopefully a, a simple definition for us. It's this. To walk by the Spirit is to be so surrendered to and influenced by the Holy Spirit that your thoughts, desires, and lifestyle center on God and His glory. It is to be surrendered and controlled by the Holy Spirit, by God himself in us, that the way that we are living is no longer living according to our own strength, according to the way that we would naturally walk in our sinful nature. And I think a lot of us know the passage very well. If, if you can, please turn there, uh, because we're going to be looking at this passage a couple times today. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And uh, while we're pulling that up, if we can have a couple men look up these other passages as well. The first is going to be Romans 6, verse 4. Uh, can someone find that passage for us? And Okay, great, Tom. And then Ephesians 2, verse 10. Can someone get that passage as well? Okay, great. Uh, but let's have the rest of us turn to Galatians 5, 16. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's the key verse and phrase that we have here. Walk by the Spirit. And so we have to ask ourselves, of course, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Uh, the first verb, which should be the most obvious to us, is walk. That well-known word, peripateo, uh, used a lot in the passages of the New Testament. And again, we know that the idea of walking in the New Testament is the idea of how we are living our lives. It's literally to go here and about, the way that you are moving from place to place if you're able to. Uh, but with it being in the present and active verb form, it's the idea of the metaphor of our daily living. You know, what are you doing as the course of your life? How are you going about in your day-to-day -day actions and movements, moment to moment, what are you trying to do? And so we see this action verb used walk many times in Scripture. And we have two over here. Let's look first at Romans 6, 4. It's that last phrase over there, that we too might walk in newness of life. So how should we be thinking about the Christian life? What is God now enabling us to do? Is that the way that we are living throughout our entire day is new. It's no longer like our old sinful fleshly self, but the way that we're now able to walk in Christ is a sense of newness, the way that he calls us to. Uh, we see walk used again in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Exactly. So now, as believers, what should be the regular course of our life? How should that look? It's that we should be walking in the good works that God has prepared for us. What should characterize our life, the, characterize the way that we live, the way that people see us, is that we are living out good works that honor the Lord. Uh, so that, if that's what walk means, it's just the general pattern of our life, what characterizes our daily actions, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, if you're looking just at verse 16 in Galatians 5, you know, you might not exactly know right off the bat, uh, but this is where the context of our passages always help, right? The way that you best understand words is always by understanding how it's being used in the surrounding passages. And so a helpful way that we see the usage is actually a couple verses later in verse 18. 
In Galatians 5.18, you hear this, which is really a, a parallel phrase to that idea of walking by the Spirit. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, what does it mean to actually walk by the Spirit? To walk in the, the Spirit's domain or in the sphere of Him working in us is to be led by Him. So very simply, what it means to walk by the Spirit is that God, through the Spirit in us, is having influence and control over our lives. He is shaping the way that we live, the way that we interact with people, the way that we re respond to situations. We're not being led by ourselves. We're not just doing what we want to do, but the way that we are acting and living and responding is being controlled in a sense. It's being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the ways that you see this actually fleshed out is in another well-known passage, Ephesians 5.18. So hopefully that's, that's helpful. You have Galatians 5.18, and then you have Ephesians 5.18. And here, Paul is actually using the term being filled by the Spirit. And we're going to look at this next week from Pastor Rich, but just know again that the term fill can be used in different ways depending on the context. And here, the idea of being filled by the Spirit is very much similar to walking by the Spirit. It's this idea of control and influence. And I'm just going to read this for us. Paul is here saying, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right here, there's actually a contrast between a person, a, a non-believer who would naturally be intoxicated with wine, right? Sometimes that was used in religious context of how they would think that they would be uh, better able to talk to their gods or whatnot. But he's saying instead of getting drunk or intoxicated with wine, which leads to debauchery, be filled with the Spirit. Right? There's actually a contrast saying there's a similarity here that you're going to be controlled or filled by one or the other. And there's actually one author that made a, a helpful clarification of these three different elements of how you can be filled either by wine or by the Spirit. Uh, the first one is a choice. That is, every single one of us, we are choosing to do something. You are either going to choose to be intoxicated, right? You're making decisions that lead to that, or you're going to make a choice or a series of decisions to be filled or controlled by the Spirit of God. Secondly, of course, as we just said, there's the idea of control. When you are getting drunk, if you have gotten drunk, you are not being controlled by yourself. You do not have full agency over your life and your actions. But you are now, in a sense, being controlled or influenced by the state of intoxication. And in the same way, what Paul is trying to say is that when you are filled by the Spirit, there is a sense of his control or influence over your life. You're not living fully on your own strength anymore. You're actually being influenced and empowered by him. And then the third element or contrast that you see here is in that sense of change. You know, when you are intoxicated, which Paul is warning us against, it's leading to debauchery, that he says. Right? It leads you to do actions and, and perform deeds that you know are going to be sinful. They're not going to be honoring to the Lord. In fact, you're going to act in a way, as you've often heard, that people say, that just wasn't me. Right? I, I didn't do the things that I would naturally do on my own. In the same way, what does it mean to be filled by the Spirit or to be walking by the Spirit as we are controlled by Him? Is that He changes us. He changes the way that we live. And you will often hear that, that phrase too. You know, the, the way that I've responded, again, in a God-honoring sense, is not the way that I usually would. 
when we are walking by the Spirit, when we are empowered by Him, the way that we live is now completely different. It's not going to be the way that you or I in our flesh naturally will. And here's a quote that you have on your sheet there. It's talking again about being filled with the Spirit according to Ephesians 5. But it's very much the same idea of walking by the Spirit. He says this, John MacArthur, being filled with the Spirit is walking thought by thought, decision by decision, act by act, under the Spirit's control. The Spirit-filled life yields to every step of the Spirit of God. And so what does it mean to actually walk by the Spirit? Is that our lives are being influenced and controlled by what God wants us to do. We are not living according to our flesh, the way that you and I selfishly and sinfully desire, but our lives are now being dictated and controlled by God himself. And I, lo I love what Kossi referenced in his book. He uh, references Mark chapter 7, 20 to 23. Let's go ahead and turn there for a second. And I'm just going to read this for our, our time's sake. But he's saying that, you know, when we are truly living the Christian life, when we are being spirit-empowered and honoring God, it's not just in our actions, right? Because here in this passage, Jesus says this. It says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Right? The point that Jesus is making here and that Kosky uh, referenced in his book is that the way that we are living is always a reflection of us internally. Right? We don't just do evil actions, but we are or we can have evil inside of us. And here I just want to briefly reference back something that we studied in the Forge over the summer. Do you guys remember the summer? Does it feel like it's, it's not too long ago? You know, those really hot days of 90% humidity and 100 degrees. I'm thankful that we're not there anymore. But uh, back then, right, way back then, you know, we covered uh, the nature of the heart. Right? We were understanding that the way that we are living, the way that we act is not just our behavior, but there are internal aspects of who we are that we also need to remember. Right? We broke down the nature of the heart being two main things. It's our worldview and then our worship. Our worldview simply being our theology, our true theology of how we actually see life, of how we really see God. Not just on paper, not what we tell people, but truly in our hearts how we see him. Our theology of how we see ourselves, our theology or worldview, how we are interpreting the events around us. That is our heart. But then our heart, our inner self, is also the sense of what we truly worship. And by that, I don't just mean what we're saying or doing here on a Sunday morning. It's the idea of what we are truly loving in life, what we are truly desiring moment by moment, the things that we most long for and want in our wills. And together, that is the internal self. That is our heart. Right? Who we are, what motivates our actions or our works is the heart of how we think and how we love. And so when we're thinking again about being walking by the Spirit, being controlled and influenced by Him, of having God being the one that is controlling us, we don't just want to focus on our behavior, men. Of course, we want to live and act in a way that is honoring the Lord, but part of walking by the Spirit also includes the internal self, that we are thinking as God wants us to think. We are loving and desiring and worshiping God and desiring things according to His ways. 
And so very much the way that you understand Mark 7 applying to this is that the spirit-led Christian is not only doing Christian behavior, but is a person who is thinking like a believer. We're thinking the way that God wants us to, that we are desiring and loving the way that a Christian should. That's what the spirit-led life is. And so just a couple contrasts to help us better understand uh, understand this. Walking by the spirit is the opposite of two things. Number one, it's the opposite of grieving the Holy Spirit. We have Ephesians 4, verse 30, which says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What it means to grieve the Spirit is, is very much to do things, to sin in a way that would offend God. Right? We know that we're called to a life of holiness. He tells us exactly how we're called to live. And so simply, it's when we are not living according to God's word, when we're not following the will of God and living instead accordance to what we want, we grieve God. We grieve the Spirit who dwells within us. You know, walking by the Spirit is also the opposite of what's known as quenching the Spirit. What you see in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, very short, do not quench the Spirit. And that word quench is very much a, a water and fire term. It's the picture of a fire that's going out, and you're putting it out by some type of means, you know, where there was the presence of light and life and fire is no longer there. And so there's a sense in which as the Spirit is in us, and it's not that we can lose the Holy Spirit in us, but when we are constantly sinning against Him, we do quench His influence over our lives. If walking by the Spirit is that we are living in a way in which we are seeking God's will, we are wanting God's will, we are empowered by God, when we are actively choosing to sin, we're able to stop or hinder His influence in our life. It does not mean that we lose the Spirit in us, but it does mean that we it affect his ability to regularly and habitually affect our lives. And so that's just very simply what does it mean to have the Spirit, to walk by him. So why should we do this? Again, I know a lot of us are probably asking the question, well, practically what does this mean, right? And we will get there to the end, but we want to walk through this as best as we can. So secondly, I want to look at this. Why should we walk by the Spirit? And here in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, this is not the only reason Trust me, as you look through Scripture, you'll find many motivations for us to walk by the Spirit. But this is such a helpful, practical thing for us as men to consider. This is something that we need to be walking through every single day, recognizing. Let's read verse 15 and 16. It says this again, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's stop right there. If you are walking by the Spirit, what is the result? What is the one thing that will happen? It says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he clarifies that in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul is referencing the flesh part of ourselves, our sin nature, that even though we are sanctified, As we've seen in this series, even though we now have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us who changes our ability to honor God in new and unique ways, we still fight against our flesh. We still have our sin-laden bodies in which we will struggle daily to fight against our sin nature. Right, And he's saying that we will fight this battle as long as we are in this body. The, the fleshly side of ourselves will fight against the spirit-led side of ourselves. The, our natural desires will fight against what God wants us to do. But 
This is a huge promise. In this battle we have against sin, whether it's personally, in our works, in our marriages, as we're raising our kids, in whatever context it may be, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the flesh desires. Wherever you are in your battle against sin, that should be a huge encouragement. This should give us reason to seriously want to pursue to walk by the Spirit. If you are under the Spirit's control, you will not gratify the flesh's desires. You know, and what exactly does that mean? As you go through the rest of Galatians 5, which we won't do in depth, right? You see the, the marks of the deeds of the flesh in verse 19 to 21. And there Paul is just explaining all the ways that we naturally sin in every single different category of sinful desires. But then he says this as you move over to verse 22 and 23. Right? He talks about if you're walking by the Spirit, you will have the what of the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Right? He's saying, you know, even though the deeds of the flesh, the way that we naturally live in our own strength is going to be all these different aspects of sin, the fruit of the Spirit in you is this. And, and let's take a look here, since I know you have a passage in front of you. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? Every single one of us strives and longs and wants these characteristics in our lives, do we not? Right? Every single time you have some type of argument with your wife and you know that you said something that you just regret immediately, you know that if you were to practice gentleness and self-control, everything would be different. Right? You know that if you were at work and you just really hated what your boss was telling you to do, if you were to simply be filled with love and peace, everything would change. We should be marked by these characteristics, right? But as we've heard many times before, it's not that these are the fruits, plural, of the Spirit, like you just choose, I want to be like this, I, I want to be like that. It's the idea that if you have the Spirit in you, if you are walking by the Spirit, this is going to be the natural result. If God is actively working in your life to control everything about you, your thoughts and desires and actions, you will naturally live out a loving kind of life. If you are regularly being uh, controlled by the Spirit as you are seeking after Him, you will have joy. If you are living for the things of God, it's not that you have to say, how can I fight for peace? To some degree, you'll have to. But if the Spirit is truly working in you, you will have peace. And so when we are thinking about this list, I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for specific characteristics because we all struggle in different ways. But the focus of this passage is actually just saying, when you are living by the Spirit, this is what He does in you. You know, there's been so many times, I know in my life and other men's lives, where as they begin to study God's Word intently, and we're going to get in a little uh, section on, on what this actually means, but they begin to pursue God diligently and personally as they're reading his word and praying just wanting to engage in their walk with the lord you know how many times have you heard this type of, of comment i was shocked at how i suddenly began to live right all of these things that used to bug me all the time right the, the little things from people that i knew in my family and my friends that you know i would just naturally be set off in anger at this moment but it was the strangest thing because as i've been regularly in god's word I, I didn't respond the way that I used to, right? Or I, I am naturally just so discontent, right? Everywhere I go, I'm just looking around thinking, if only I could have that car, I would be happy, right? If only I, I ha my wife was 
as well-dressed as that person, then I would be happy. But as they begin to focus on God intently in all of their life, you know, putting him first in all things, even without thinking about those particular issues, everything changed. Why is that? A big part of that is because without even maybe knowing the, the verse or word, they're now walking by the Spirit. They are now being controlled by God. The thing that we need is that we need God's work in us. And when we are intentionally engaging with him, as we'll see very soon, when he is now influencing who we are, the Spirit's fruit will be in us. And again, that's not just our behavior. Yes, our behavior should change. But it includes the way that we are thinking. You know, how we are thinking, what we think about, all that changes as God's work is in us. Again, going to the nature of the heart, our desires change. What we naturally want, what we love, what we desire will change as God's work is being done in us, as we are being controlled by Him. And I know that this is a different you know, verb, but it, walking by the Spirit is very much connected to this idea of abiding in Jesus, right? One title last week, very helpful lesson, right? It's not that we are only focusing on one member or person of the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are working in us together, right? And so this idea of walking by the Spirit, one parallel would be abiding in Christ, right? John 15, 4 and 5. Jesus says this to his disciples, and we're going to get there. It's going to be such a helpful message. He says, abide in me and I in you, right? That term abide is to make your home in. As you think about maybe where you're living, you abide there. Jesus is saying, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And men, I would say that this is very much a similar idea to what walking by the Spirit is. That yes, you can be a believer, you can be saved, but if you're not regularly seeking to abide in Christ, if you're not seeking to walk by the Spirit, having God be the one that you are focusing on and allowing Him to influence your life, you will be living according to the flesh. You will not be living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But when you are in the Lord, when you are regularly focusing on him, when he is controlling your life, this is how you will live. And so just for a moment, we're going to go into some application at the end, but what does the state of your life look like? Just look at these characteristics in Galatians 5. How much is this dictating or, or determining or defining your life? Because if not, maybe you are not truly being influenced by God the way that you should as a believer. Maybe you're not pursuing him the way that you should be doing as a Christian. So the question, of course, is, and this is where I'd love to spend most of our time, what does this practically look like? Right? How do we actually walk by the Spirit? How do we abide in Christ, make sure that we are tapping into him the way that we should, being controlled by God the way that we should? And it's very simple. Here's what I'm saying. The spirit-led life is the God-focused, God-saturated life. It is to be so God-focused, so God-saturated, that every part of who you are, every part of what you are doing is all about the Lord. Right? It's not just simply being a Christian, because there's many times where you can be saved and just living for yourself. 
right? All your thoughts, all you're doing all day is thinking about you, 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 you. But to be spirit-led is to be in the state of life in which everything you are doing is focused and being empowered by God. You know, you don't see the exact word here, but I love the beginning of Psalm chapter 1. The way that the entire Psalter opens it, it so captures the type of life that we as believers need to have. Let's turn there uh, very briefly. Psalm 1. Because here, the, the psalmist says this, right? This is just defining how all of our lives as Christians should be. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Right? He, is, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Right? This is such a good summary of what our lives should look like, right? That we are regularly not walking in the way of sin, but we are actually seeking the way of God. And again, it's not just doing these things, but we are actually delighting in the law of the Lord. We love his word. Right? We love everything that he says to us. It's not just something we're told to do, but we actually delight in it. And we love it so much. We delight in God's word so much that it says that we meditate day and night. That the word of God, who he is, what he says, is so controlling us that we want to spend time with him in his word. Is that how you are living your Christian life? Right? Not just going to church. Not just coming to your Iron Man groups, just going to things that are Christian, but do you actually delight in the things of God? Do you love Him and all that He has given to us in His Word? And do you actually seek to say, I want to know it so much that I want to meditate on it, I want to dwell on it? The, the picture of our hearts, our minds being like a tea bag that you just saturate in with, with the water, that you allow it to permeate all of your thoughts, to dwell on it, not just in the morning one time when you're told to read your Bible, but throughout the day, you are meditating on what God has to say. That is what the Psalter opens with, right? That's the first thing that we are seeing before you get to all the 150 other ones. We need to be this type of person, which we are saying, you are blessed, you are truly happy, you are living the good life when you are not walking according to sin, but you are walking according to the things of God. Right? This captures what all of us as men should be striving for. And this is what the spirit-led life looks like. is when you are genuinely and actively and regularly seeking to obey the Lord, to know the Lord, and to delight in Him. Is that your heart today? As we are now in this halfway point of the forge for the fall, is this your pursuit or are you just kind of now going through the motions of coming here every single Friday? Make sure you are genuine in your desire to focus and be saturated in God. What does it practically look like? Let me just give you four general categories. We've sort of hit on these over the course of the summer, but there's some aspects in which we haven't. When you think about what we're called to do, there's really four different categories in which we pursue the Lord. Right? We're called to know and want and love him in all aspects of life. And there are four categories I want to hit. The first one is, of course, our relationship with God. And that's this in your notes. We must devotionally engage with scripture and prayer. That is, in when we are doing these things, which are known as the spiritual disciplines, hopefully you're not just doing it as an act. 
You're not just doing to say, I've checked this off my list. I'm good for the day. I can move on with the rest of my life. But it's this idea of I truly want to engage with God, right? I want to know him. I want to praise him. I want to serve him. And so when we're thinking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it's very much connected to our relationship with him. So let's have two men find these passages. The first one being Colossians 3.16, and the second one being the passage that we read, but we're going to see so much more. Ephesians 5.18, Can someone go ahead and read for us Colossians 3.16? Does someone have that? Okay, Mark. Very good. It's saying, let the word of Christ, that is the scripture, dwell in you richly, right? To be so in home in your heart, right? Focus and meditate on the words of God. And what is the result? Each of these phrases that you hear afterwards is one of the results or manifestations of dwelling on the word of Christ. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Right? When you are regularly engaging with God's word, that should flesh itself out in the way that you're interacting with people. Right? It should come out in your conversations with others. It should cause you to praise God. It should cause you to be thankful in your heart. That's what happens when we're truly dwelling, allowing God's word to dwell in us richly. And then going back to Ephesians 5.18, but let's read the rest of the section uh, up to verse 21. Who has that passage? Okay. Do you guys hear the similarities between those two passages that we just read? Right? The Spirit-filled life, the one in which the Holy Spirit, which Christ is working in us and empowering us and influencing our life, is the same life of the person who is dwelling richly on God's Word, in which the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. And so when we are engaging in, in God's Word, everything in our life will change. Right? Notice again the, the manifestations there where you will then begin to give thanks for everything to God the Father. It says even in verse 21 of Ephesians 5 that you will begin to naturally learn to be humble and submit to other people. All of this comes from our engagement with God. And so how is it that we live this life which is walking by the Spirit? We are engaging devotionally and intentionally with God in Scripture but also in prayer. Now I love how Dane Ortland that pastor and author describes a relationship with God as being like our oxygen. None of us as men, none of us as people just inhale constantly, right? It, it's not that my entire life is, I'm just going to inhale more and more and more and more and more forever until you die, right? We also exhale. That, that's just the natural rhythm of our lives. And so if you're thinking about our reading of scripture, our meditating on the word of God as the inhaling, prayer is the exhaling. The way that we should be engaging in God's word is such that we are in a conversation with our God, praising him for what we are seeing, confessing our sin for the ways that we are not honoring the Lord, asking for help and for ourselves and for people as we see just what God calls us to do. We need to be engaging dynamically and relationally in our relationship with God. Right? That's the first aspect of how we can pursue the Lord in our life. 
The second one is this. It, it has to do with our circumstances. It is to reflectively respond to trials and situations. Hopefully some of you men were pulling up these other passages. If not, I would just say pick one of these passages and look it up on your Bible. The first one being James 1, 2, and 4. Did someone find that or can find that? Okay, Dan. And then 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Someone have that passage there. Or is, is willing to find it as we go. Okay, so in the back, Ethan. The way that we also engage with the Lord is to reflectively respond to our trials and situations. Here we have James 1, 2 to 4. Yes, so what is James calling us to do here? Right, we know this passage very well as, as we are engaging in trials, difficulties, situations that we don't like or enjoy, we should be joyful. We have reason to rejoice even in difficult circumstances. Why? Because we know that God is intentional. He is sovereign over every single circumstance, right? And he is allowing those situations in our life to test and to refine our faith, to make us more steadfast in how we go about trials, to change our character. And so as we are going through life, part of how we have a Godward focus, how we walk by the Spirit, is that we are learning to, in all things, saying, Lord, what are you teaching me now? Right? This difficult situation, this health issue that I'm experiencing, that my kid is going through, how can I see this as a way that you are intentionally refining me? That you're not absent in this circumstance. You are present and you are working this for my good. What are you trying to teach me? That is how we should engage as God-led Christians in these circumstances. We have another passage in, in 2 Corinthians 12, and maybe for time's sake, if you can just read verse 9 and verse 10. Amen. Right? We didn't read the whole passage, but you know this one as well. The, the thorn in Paul's side. He asked three times that God would remove it, but God says no, because he is saying, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. The, the circumstance you're going through, I am not going to remove it because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Right? And that's the reason that Paul, though the circumstance isn't changing, though the trial is not going away, that he is now taking that hardship to the Lord. He is now able to live through this hardship in a way that's honoring Christ. He's saying, I will be content with my weakness. I will be content with my hardship. Why? Because I know that in this, God is being glorified. I have to rely on the power of God working in me. That is what the Spirit-led life looks like, men. That when you're going through hardship, you're not just saying, this is horrible. I wish I wasn't in this anymore. But you are saying, God, you are using this even now. You are, you are present in this now, helping me that I should be dependent on your strength and my weakness. Are you living like this today? Are you engaging in your circumstances in this kind of reflective, worshipful, prayerful posture? Because that is the Spirit-led life. Now, thirdly, what does this mean? It means it changes the way that we relate to other people. We humbly relate to the things of the Lord with others. 
two more verses here. We have Hebrews 3.13 and then Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Did someone find the Hebrews passage for us? Okay, if not, if someone is willing to get it. Yes, please. Very good. How should we be relating to one another in our Christian life? How should we be engaging as men, sharpening one, as iron sharpens iron? Part of that is we exhort one another as long as it is called today. And what the author there is saying is that we know, and I think you and I know, we can be hardened by our sinful natures, right? We can be blind to what's going on in our life. We can not see the ways that we are sinning against other people or the way that our mentalities are off. And so part of this correction, part of how we make sure that we do not harden ourselves is we must exhort one another, that we need the work of men in our lives that are sharpening us, that are calling us out in sin, that are speaking truth into our lives so that we don't harden ourselves. And so what does this mean practically for the God-led, God-focused life? Is that the way that we relate to one another should not just all be about sports and football. Not saying that that's the wrong thing, it's fine if we do. But the content, how we should be thinking about our conversations with one another as believers is we are sharpening each other. That the things of the Lord, the things of God in his word permeate our life. Right? As we saw in Ephesians 5, that when we are spirit-filled, when we are word-filled in Colossians 3, that the word of Christ pours out in the way that we are thankful to God. The way that we speak the truths of scripture to one another even. And so how do we live this life is that our conversation should be marked in the way in which we're speaking the truths of God to one another. How much is that coming about in your relationships today, your marriages, the way that you're seeking to lead your family to Christ? You know, maybe some of you are going through the type of activity, which we may talk about next week in our Ironman groups. You're saying, I need to be more intentional in leading my family. And let's say you do do that, or you begin to do that next week. Are you, is it just the type of thing where you say, I know that I have to, so this week I'm going to pray with my family. I'm just going to do it every day because I know that it's a good thing to do. Or are you so led by God in your study of his word and your love of him and your joy and worship and your meditating on a scripture that you want to talk about that with your family, right? You want to say, what are you learning and reading? Here's what I'm learning. Here's how God is working in my life. How much is your relationship with God flowing out into your relationships with others? Your family, of course, first of all, but those that are in your sphere of life. That is what the Spirit-led life is. In the same way, we have this next passage, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Uh, maybe I'll just read this for time, but it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the spirit-led life, men? Is that we are engaging in the spiritual dynamics of one another. We are helping those that are caught in sin. We are encouraging and bearing the burdens of those that are around us. But this should be the regular tempo of our relationship. That we are helping each other. We're not living the Christian life as an island as we've seen before. And then finally, what is the spirit-led life? What is this God-focused, God-saturated life? It is what we see in these last two verses. We radically strive to change our lifestyle and mortify sin. 
I'll go ahead and read these. Well, actually, if someone can find Philippians 3, but I'll read Hebrews 12, 14. The author says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Right? What are we called to do? As much as we're saved by grace, as much as we know that we are supposed to be empowered by God and he is the only one that can truly change how we live, what are we called to do on our human side? It says, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Make great effort and strain and purpose so that you may be living the type of life that God calls us to live. And so in our fight against sin, in the areas in which we recognize that we are not honoring Christ, don't just say, I'm going to pray about it once and God has me. Right? But what we are called to do is make intentional and dynamic and strong efforts to honor the Lord and change our lifestyles. Right? Did someone find for us the Philippians 3 passage? Did anyone get that? Okay, Alan. Yes, how does Paul see this Christian life, right? You can see the analogy potentially as a sprint or a race or a marathon. He's saying, in this moment, I'm not focusing on the things of the past. Maybe it's the past sin or the, the past moment of salvation, but I'm pressing forward to what lies ahead. I'm straining forward towards the goal. The Christian life, the way that we should be engaging in our walks with God and how we're called to live should be seen very much as one of much effort. And so what this means is that as we're engaging in fighting our sin, our, our intent to read God's word and focus on him and the way that we're engaging the things of the Lord with our families and our friends and people at church, it can't just be this kind of passive posture, right? It's not the type where you say, yes, I know that I'm supposed to do this and I'm going to do my best and maybe one day I will. Right? We've all heard and maybe our Ironman groups or different accountability groups with men where they say, I know that I'm supposed to read my Bible and, and I'm just going to do my best this week. And you have six months of that same type of comment made over and over again, right? And then basically that group just becomes not a true refining Iron Man group, but it becomes an enabling type of group, right? The way that we're called to grow in our walks, yes, we need other people, but it also requires a much intense effort on our part. And so as we seek to be spirit-led, as we seek to engage and fight the sin that dwells within us, as we seek to honor Christ and our family, that does mean much effort on our own parts, right? It means we have to strive intentionally for these things. And so just think for a moment, how much are you active in your pursuit of godliness? How much are you seeking intently to meditate on God's word, to dwell on his word, to be a God-saturated man? Because that is what all of us are called to do. You know, we all need to be spirit-led as we're seeing here. Going back to Galatians 5, when we are spirit-led, when he is influencing and controlling us, when Christ is abiding in us, everything in our life will change, right? We will see those fruits of the spirit which all of us so desperately want. But it's not just this passive kind of effort. It's not as simple as saying, God, I am here, fill me. But the way that we are led is by intentionally engaging in the things of God not just personally, but in every aspect of our life. As you're leaving here to go to work, as you see your family when you go home, we are led in all things as we are engaging the things of God in every single part of our lives. That is how we be spirit-led. 
And so I hope some part of that was helpful or encouraging or challenging you. But I want to end with one more thing. How is it that we live this kind of God-focused, God-saturated life is that we recognize and repent of what preoccupies our heart. And this is something that Kossi mentioned in his book. Tying back to Galatians 5, 16, 17, he says, if you preoccupy yourself with worldly pursuits, the deeds of the flesh are going to dominate you. If you preoccupy yourself with spirit-focused pursuits, the deeds of the spirit will direct and rule you. And later on in the chapter, he says, in agriculture, in biology, and in most every facet of life, what you feed will grow. And so part of how we think about being spirit-led, how we live the type of life that's honoring God, is we just have to very simply think, what are you focusing on? What are your priorities? What are the priorities you're setting for your family? The, the things that you're engaging with together as a couple, as a parent, what are you focusing in your life? And so just look at these reflection questions, which I think are, are in the sheet. Number one, what are you preoccupied with? Right, Tying back to Psalm 1, what do you delight in? That is, what are you truly worshiping? What do you truly love in your heart? What do you meditate on? What is your mind dwelling on and focusing on and thinking about throughout the day? Using the analogy of Psalm 1, what is your heart planted by? Right? Is it by the streams of water, which is the truth of who God is, or is it uh, on the things of this earth? And, and then second set of questions. I, I think I might have changed it after, but it's this. If your wife or children had to summarize what they think you're living for through what you're prioritizing and the activities that you have them prioritize on, what would they say? Right, Just by the, the things that you're scheduling into your week, the, the, the activities that you're saying, this is so important that I have to do that. I have to go to this or I have to go to that. Based on what you are focusing on the week, what would your family say is truly important to you? Is it the things of the Lord or is it the things of this world? Because very simply, it's in what we are doing that we are choosing to either focus on the Lord, be filled by the Spirit, be, um, be led by Him, or we're being led by ourselves and by our flesh. And so when you recognize that there are things which are preoccupying your hearts, men, you need to, you must want to recognize and repent of that. Say, Lord, these are the idols of my heart. These are the things which I am worshiping, I am loving more than you right now, that I'm actually leading my family into loving and worshiping more than you. I repent, I confess of that. And now help me to live the God-focused, God-led life. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit, man. Um, we can't just live on our own strength, and we're not supposed to. We are able to live a life that honors God, but it's not just the type of posture which we say, I am letting go, and now I'm letting God. Right? It does require much action on our part as well. So I hope uh, some of that is helpful, uh, refreshing even. Maybe it wasn't, but... Uh, you know, we do have, you know, five or so minutes for questions. So I would just love to hear um, what are you men wondering about? How are you engaging with this material? Um, or how are you even responding to it? Yeah, answer. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say, uh, you know, with the chapters from Kossi, 
all of us probably have seen all of those reflection questions that are at the end, and he all, he's always trying to give, this is what I love about it, application steps, right? Here's what it truly means for your life. And, uh, you know, probably, I'm sure many of us feel the crunch of time that, okay, I just got to read it before the next, you know, week. Otherwise, my Ironman leader is going to, you know, roast me or whatever. But really, I think the way that we engage best, as we do with even our time in Scripture, is reading and saying, Lord, what is it that I need, I need to work on this week? Right? How can I be intentional with it this week? Um, you know, with the, every, uh, the, the other theology books, it's easy to read theology as an intellectual exercise, right? These are the truths that I now know so I can argue better against other people. Um, I really think as we were reading any type of theology, including the Trinity last week, those are all reasons to praise and worship our God. And so as we're going through to be intentional, maybe even devotional even, to, to use it and sometimes say, Lord, these are truths about you, the God that I do not fully understand and I cannot fully understand, blessed be your name. Um, I think those are just two simple ways. Thank you, Bruce. That's a really helpful reminder. I think for all of those four categories we mentioned, it's really meant to summarize all of the spiritual disciplines that we're called to do as men. All of us probably neglect one or all or most of them. And so like you're saying, right, it's, you know, we need the people that are in our lives. And so if you know that your tendency is to be an island saying, I got my time with God, I read my sermon, I'm good. You know, we need the, the work of other people. You know, we need to accept the ways that God is using them, using our circumstances, and being intentional in that. So, thank you. Yeah. Other thoughts or questions? Mike? Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, just really briefly. So, I'm going to have the cast off next Friday, so a week from today. And uh, I'll immediately go into physical therapy. I scheduled them back to back. So I think just prayers that um, I will be able to get back to 100% strength, um, be able to walk and, and do all those things too. So. Uh, a week from today. So. Okay, good. Any last questions, thoughts about this material? Okay, good. Well, uh, men, we are out three minutes early. So I hope you can enjoy the extra three minutes of your day. I don't know what that would be, but uh, yes, thank you again for engaging in this. I, I hope it's